0: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that you are here with us right now, that you are always speaking to us and ready for us to hear from you. I pray that we will open up those eyes of our heart this morning and help us to take in what it is that you want us to take in. In your name, amen. Romans 5, 20 to 21. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When it comes to the book of Romans, which I absolutely love, I need to go very slowly through it because I feel like this verse is a whole lot of words that go over my head. And I wish that I had a mind that could just read it and take it all in with all of its meaning. But I am just not that person right now. So I need to go through it slowly. So I hope that God will bless you as much as he's blessed me by taking it slow. Starting with verse 20. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. This confused me. When I was thinking about it, I prayed, God, forgive me for this. But does this verse mean that you wanted more sin in the world? Forgive me. Sorry. Please forgive me. (laughs) At this point, I need to remind myself, God is not afraid of our questions or our doubts or our confusion. Um, We can boldly approach him through Jesus without fear. His grace is abundant towards us. So is that what this verse means? God, did you want more trespasses in the world? I'd like to put forward two thoughts about this. To start with, the first thought, which I think is super interesting, can there be a trespass at all without the law? Just to be clear, a trespass in this Bible verse is a sin. The, the original Greek word is paraptima, which means a lapse or deviation from truth and uprightness. It means a sin. What? Oh, yes, I got one in there. <laughs> Tick. Yes Um, I find this question fascinating Can there be a trespass at all without the law? If nobody ever specifically told you not to do something Is it wrong when you do that thing? Now moral law is a different matter Yes, I believe God has given us morality The ability to see right and wrong Somewhat Um, But I'm putting that in a separate box right now Um, This is like legal law, and the lawyers that I work with probably just shivered because I just said legal law. I don't even think that's a term. (laughs) If the written law doesn't say it's wrong, has a sin occurred? The reason I ask this is because up to the time of Moses, there was no written law, none that I'm aware of. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and from those commandments, the Israelites then had a lot to follow from that point onwards. And just a quick sidebar, um, you guys are totally welcome to like disagree with things that I say. I'm not you know, the be-all and end-all in this sort of stuff. And I also really think it's cool that the Bible is active for us. Um, we can keep pondering it and turning it over in our minds and come to new conclusions from it. And I believe that the Spirit will help us as we do this. I think it's right for us to do that. So back to this, um, no law before Moses, go with me on this for a second. There's no law, is there any trespass? The verse says, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. By using my argument, the trespass would have certainly increased just because there was zero trespass before that point because there was no written law. So in this argument, it's like, God gave us the right standard to live by, which is the law when previously there wasn't a written standard. So that's one line of thought that it would have just increased as a technicality. The second thought about this verse and the more challenging one for me is why is this terminology used? The verse says, so that the trespass might increase as if it was supposed to increase or even that God wanted it to increase. I came across this quote in my search for an answer. The blacker the storm cloud, the brighter the rainbow. Is grace good if we don't know we are bad? I'll just let you ponder on that while I take some water. Um, Some of us ladies went to a women's retreat recently, um, which is our denominations district ladies' conference for a weekend. Everyone's had a bad night's sleep before, right? (laughs) Um, As is always the case in every sort of like camp situation I've been in, it's like this. You're put in a dorm room with other people. There are exit lights that shine all night. You're on these thin plasticky mattresses that squeak at your slightest movement. You don't want to wake anyone up, so you kind of just... And look, at the end of the day, it's just not home. It takes a couple of hours to fall asleep, and then it feels like you wake up every hour until the sun rises. Some people, though, have a supernatural gift to be able to sleep no matter where they are, no matter what time of day it is. I'm not one of those people. I don't, it's not like a complaining or whinging point because I think just, you know, resting is pretty good. So now imagine that first night when you're back at home after being away in a bed that's yours, in a room that's yours, that smells like you in a good way, not a bad way, (laughs) on a thick fabric mattress in pitch black darkness, totally quiet, you can physically feel yourself melting into the bed and just drifting off. Eight glorious hours later, you wake up refreshed. Sorry, mums and dads, (laughs) brag. Um, that sleep that first night after retreat was good. And I can tell you it was made so much better just because I hadn't had a good night's sleep in two nights. The black of the storm cloud, the bright of the rainbow. What if God gave us the law so that we can see how truly black we are and how truly in need we are of a saviour? I also think of the prodigal son story Yes, it's good if the other son to never have left the father. That is good. But what a celebration when the prodigal son returns home. There's a visible contrast. Just like the lost sheep, it was lost first. If the sheep was just a nomad living independent of any other sheep or humans, and it lived its whole life on its own, and it one day wanders into a shepherd's pen, it's like, cool, different grass, whatever. But in the parable, the sheep is lost. There's a contrast and there's a celebration when it's found. God allows us a standard to live against the law. And he allows us the opportunity to disregard that law and make our own foolish path. But his grace is always ready to forgive us and welcome us home too. Which brings us to the incredible verse 21 of our passage today. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God's grace cannot be overwhelmed by our sinfulness. Let me rephrase that. God's grace cannot be overwhelmed by your sinfulness. There is nothing you have done or can do that is so bad that grace can't cover it and put it as far away from you as the east is from the west. Grace is always one step ahead of sin. Ten steps ahead, a hundred steps ahead. His grace is more. The second part of verse 21. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is awesome and complicated to my brain, so here's how I'm breaking it down. There are two rulers, a king called Sin, and a king called Grace. Actually, Grace is a girl's name, so we're gonna say Queen called Grace. There they are. These two rulers are enemies of one another. This is Sin, this is Grace. They often face off, they are both very powerful, And they are both backed by powerful forces too. Who can defeat the ruler called sin? Certainly not the people living in his kingdom. Not ultimately anyway. The people living in sin's dominion are ruled by sin. How interesting is this? The verse says, sin reigned in death. His rule is in a cemetery and his subjects are dead. Wow. Sin's rule is in a cemetery, and his subjects are dead. Not just spiritually dead, physically too. Death entered this world through sin, and the Bible says the sting of death is sin. We die because sin reigns. But who or what can defeat sin? We've said who can't defeat him, but who can. Only God, only grace. Grace is the love of God exercised to man. It's the application of his love to us. The love of God that rays out to us. Although we are sinful and deserving of something wholly different, his love in action can overcome sin. And what's the opposite to sin? Righteousness. The verse says, Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness. The way grace reigns is opposite to sin. She reigns through righteousness. Another interesting thing about this verse is the tenses that are used. Did you notice that sin reigned, past tense, so that grace might reign? Sin has had his day. And grace is on her way to her dominion. She's fighting to reign. It's her time to shine. We are living in this new era of grace, thanks to Jesus. And just as sin's dominion is in a cemetery, this verse says that grace reigns to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's another contrast opposite. Notice also that the verse doesn't just say, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign unto life. No, there are qualifiers, aren't there? Through righteousness, through Jesus. What comes to mind, what quote comes to mind when you see this image? This image is not so much about God as it is about our sin. Our evil shall not pass into the gates of heaven. Because God is perfect and holy, and just. He requires righteousness just from his character. He is just a God of justice, and he cannot allow sin to walk right into heaven. That's where we need Jesus. We are given his righteousness when we accept him. It is through Jesus that we are made righteous, so that grace might reign unto eternal life. There is no righteousness in God's eyes apart from God's gift to us through Jesus. In order to live under the rule of grace, we need him. And I believe there's more to this than just a one-time action of accepting Jesus into your heart when you became a Christian. Because I can certainly feel myself being tempted by sin He still has power, but I want grace to have the power. This is my question to you. Who is ruling you? Who are you allowing to rule you? Because there are two rulers. We know that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We know that we are no longer heading towards eternal death. We are heading towards eternal life in heaven. But sin as a ruler is still very strong, yes? Even to us who are living saved by Jesus, will we let grace continue to heal us and love us? Or will we let sin steal us back into his dominion? Because the devil is so ready to bring us under the reign of sin again, so ready to steal, kill, and destroy. I've been thinking lately, because of these verses, about the law of God and how I want to be living under his law, in the kingdom of grace, not in the kingdom of sin. I don't want to break God's law. And thankfully, Jesus makes it so simple for us in Matthew 22, 37 to 38, that the greatest law of God is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So I'm making my goal since reading through these verses as simple as he's made it for me in everything I do to love God first. Before I say grace, before eating food at night and thanking him for my food, I'll stop and love him first. Before I go to work in the morning, before I walk through those front doors, I'll stop and love him first. If I can successfully live my life like that, not only will it be seriously fulfilling and life giving and in tune with the purpose for my being alive on this earth, but also I won't be afraid of the possibility of being ruled by sin because I haven't even given sin a chance. I'm living my life step by step in love with God. And wherever I'm loving God, I'm not loving sin. The Spirit will be purifying me and my intentions while I am open to allowing him to, and I'll be living under grace. And I know that I am not getting it right all the time, most of the time. (laughs) I know that I'm still failing a lot, but can I challenge you to try this with me? Before you do something, stop and love God first. Can we do that right now even in prayer? still come and play something let's just stop for a minute just stop just you and god and just love him think of his goodness and his incredible grace towards you whose rule are you living under sin or grace grace Ask the Spirit to purify you and your intentions and be open to allowing him to do that. Love him now in this space and thank him for his grace towards you, his love in action to you. Think of how you can implement this in your life, step by step, love God first. Just pray where you are. Dear God, we acknowledge our foolishness whenever we run our lives without loving you first. Lord, forgive us for all the times we've broken your commandment to love you with all our hearts. Father, heal the brokenness inside of us and help us to be more open with you. Help us to love you freely, Lord, and love you step by step in our lives. Help us to stop more in our day-to-day and to love you first. You are so gracious and so generous to us, and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.